Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to the second epistle of Peter, chapter 1, the chapter that we read, and reading for our text, verse 19, but there is just one portion of this verse that is upon my spirit, but of course we will look at the whole verse. <coughs> Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And the words specifically upon my spirit are those in the middle of the verse, ye do well that ye take heed. Ye do well that ye take heed. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 Importance of taking heed. Taking heed means to pay careful attention or take notice of. Ye do well that ye take heed. Many troubles, trials, difficulties, many times we don't receive the blessing because we do not take heed. Of course, there are some things that we should not take heed to. Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he warns that we are not to give heed to fables and to endless genealogies. And the reason that there is no profit in them. They do not profit those that are exercised in those things. In 1 Timothy and chapter 1 and verse 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. And we need to really think when we start to get engrossed in various things, are they really profitable? Are going through all of the genealogies or trying to work out the line of things, are they really profitable? And no, the Lord is pleased to hedge us about to what is profitable but if there are things that are bogging us down with really questions and troubling our minds then those are things we should not take heed to and Paul reinforces this when he writes to Titus in the first chapter of the epistle of Paul to Titus he says to him, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. 
And our Lord reproved the scribes and the Pharisees who taught for commandments the traditions of men. They added many things, hundreds of various things to the law of God, supposedly making men religious by observing these things, but they had no foundation in the word of God. So we are warned not to take heed to that. In the Ecclesiastes, Solomon warns that we are not to take heed, or masters especially, to take heed to every word that is spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. And he reminds that we also have cursed others in the same way. So there are those things that we are not to take heed to. We are to pass by without uh, paying careful attention to them or taking notice of them. We should not leave them to clog up our minds and take up our time because they're turning away from the truth. But there are those things that we should give heed to. And here it is, the word of God. Now, the apostle really does a comparison here. He speaks of the glory that they heard from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration. And one would think, well, how easy it would be for the people of God to think, well, that's what we must have. We must see the glory of God in such a wonderful vision as on that Mount of Transfiguration, we would be like Peter. But Peter would say, no. In the words of our text, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, and that is the word of God. We are not to be looking for those visions and revelations in that way, but for the Lord to shine upon the word, the Holy Spirit, to bless the word of God to us. Heaven and earth, said our Lord, shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. We have a similar comparison with the Apostle Paul where he tells us that that vision he had on the Damascus Road, caught up into the third heavens, heard words unspeakable that cannot be uttered. He said, lest he be exalted above measure, the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet him. And when he thought that that would be taken away, God didn't, and he gave him instead grace. My grace is sufficient for thee. And so in a similar way, Paul would point us away from those great visions and to the sufficiency of the grace of God, the help of God, the real practical help of God day by day, whether in our minds or our bodies, it is the grace of God that is so vital. By grace you are saved, that not of yourselves, uh, by through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so we have these two contrasts. 
Peter speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration and then pointing us rather to the Word of God. Paul speaking of his visions and speaking rather, pointing rather to the grace of God. So here we have the Apostle speaking of something, speaking of what is absolutely vital, the Word of God, as to what we should pay heed to. Ye do well that ye take heed. So I want with the Lord's help then this morning, look just at two points. Firstly, why we do well to take heed to the word of God, that which is told us in the words of our text and what follows. And then secondly, other things, other things in the scriptures. And I've just selected out a few of them that we are expressly warned to take heed to. But firstly, why? Why we do well to take heed to the word of God. In uh, verse 16, the apostle says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The word of God that we have here, and remember that the apostle has said that his desire was that after he had died, after he is deceased, we might have these things in remembrance. And those things then that he had seen, and the apostles had seen, and they bore witness to of the power and coming of the Lord, were not cunningly devised fables. That is what there are those that say they are. Many will despise the word of God, they are ridiculing, they will say that it's just something that man has put together. Remember we said of those things that we are not to pay heed to, uh, those that the Apostle Paul pointed to as those Jewish fables or those fables that were really fables. They were not true, they were not real. There is such a thing as those things that are just made up and devised by man. But Peter says this is not. The word of God is not something like that. It is the record of those that have truly witnessed the coming and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are records that have been made and in the lifetime of other witnesses and other people who lived at that time that could really question those things that are put down and that when there was the testimony that the scriptures were being fulfilled at the cross they could easily have gone against that and said no this didn't happen or that didn't happen but those things did happen and the 
testimony even of the Roman soldiers, truly this was a righteous man. The effect of those that witnessed the empty tomb, that witnessed the Lord after he rose from the dead and then ascended up into heaven, and the power when the Holy Spirit was sent down on the day of Pentecost. Remember with Peter, he witnessed that at Pentecost, he witnessed that ten years later with Cornelius, and when he speaks of the power and coming of the Lord, he saw the power in the Gospel day. He saw those thousands converted at Pentecost, and those many converted of the Gentiles with Cornelius. So why we take, why we do well to take good heed of the word of God. These are not fables, it is the truth of God. It is the witness of witnesses, a true witness. The second reason is that it is the inspired word of God. We have in verse 21, The prophecy came not in old time by the will of God, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Principally what is referred to here is the Old Testament prophecies that look forward to Christ's coming, they're told like David did in Psalm 22 in very vivid detail of the crucifixion of our Lord, even the words that he uttered on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those prophecies, they were not written, just devised by man, but holy men of God like King David spake as they were moved. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Word of God. The very words, not just the ideas, were breathed by the Holy Spirit. And we could extend that further. The very things that happened, because much of the Word of God is a history book. It records the history. And so the thing must first happen the account of the fall and with Noah, the flood, those things must have happened and decreed that they should happen by God and then how they should be recorded and that they should be recorded as being decreed by God and the very words that he used to record them are decreed by God. And we must remember that. You know, if we were to record all of these events that happened in every minute detail, well, John says that in, in the Gospel according to John, that even if all the things that were written that Jesus did, if they were all written, the world itself would not contain the books that could be written. And so we, we know we only have, we only have a very small account of what our Lord actually did. And in every detail of the Old Testament as well, 
We have what is needed for salvation. Many times when I was in my studies at school, we used to ask the teachers, could we know a bit more information? And we wanted to delve a bit deeper into the subjects that we were studying. But the teacher rightly said that for the year that we are in, for what we needed to know to get through those exams, that we only needed to know what he was telling us. That it would be a waste of time, that it wouldn't be to the aim in view of passing that year's exams to delve into those further subjects. <coughs> and so it is with the Word of God. We might think, well, how did that happen? Why haven't we got that detail? And many give heed to trying to work these things out. But God says, no, pay heed to what is written and what is not written. Then the Lord is kindly saying to us, you don't need to know that. That is not important for your souls. That is not important for your spiritual life and for the blessing of your souls. So it is absolutely vital when we receive the word of God, we receive it as the inspired word of God. It is God-breathed. It is not man's word. It's God's word to man through a human instrument. And that is why we need a faithful translation what we have in English, we read in English. The psalmist, he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We need the word that we understand to hide in our hearts. And the original languages, Hebrew and Greek, they needed to be translated. And in all the languages of the world, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature and the miracle at Pentecost was that men who had not been trained in other languages were able to speak other languages and it's God's gift to the church of God to give those that understand Greek and Hebrew that understand also the language of their own tongue and are able to translate from one to the other that are gracious characters, characters who love the word, characters who know the truth in their own hearts. And that is a great blessing to the Church of God. And we know the history of our English Bible. And it is a history in much turmoil and trouble and persecution. But the Lord gave to us the word. And for over 400 years we have had the translation that we're using this morning, the authorised version, and we bless God for a faithful translation of the inspired word. But we have in the word of our text that it is a sure word. It is a sure word. And not only a sure word, but in this verse 20, that it is God's message, not by any private interpretation. God is giving his word to us. 
And by comparing scripture with scripture, we come with what God's message is. We can easily get a different message if we just pick and choose and select out of context the words of scripture. You could put together a very, very different message. We would not think of getting someone else's letter and just select parts of it and deliberately bring a different message to what their letter was. I believe many times in public office there are those that feel very grieved because what they have said has been taken out of context. Only parts of it have been published or spoken, others have not and is given a false impression or others have changed around what has been said. I remember years ago writing and I forget the uh, subject of the occasion but writing to one of the newspapers in this land and they published my letter under my name but they had changed it so much they'd condensed it and they'd actually put things in it that were contrary to the scriptures wrong teaching anyone reading that letter ascribed to me would have said well that's a very poor minister he doesn't even know his bible and when I protested to them and asked them to correct it and to apologise, they refused to do it. There's a great uh, disincentive really to write or to do anything on a public stage because whatever is said, it can be changed. So we need to really remember that. If we hear something that is said, even if it is them speaking, of one of our brethren or those from the churches or of those of our politicians be very, very careful that they're actually being quoted in context and properly before we jump to and condemn them to, to actually look into what they've said. And so with the word of God, we are to compare scripture with scripture and to be very clear, God has a message. What is God's message? What is he saying to us? And if we have the word of God, then we should not be fearful that we should be deceived. We have the word ourselves. But we have in our text as well that it is a light in a dark place. That is why we should give heed to it. This world is a dark world. It is a godless world. It is a world that is anti-God. And our hearts, they are dark. They do not have the truth. They are deceitful. They are wicked. And yet this light of the world, the light of the word of God, it comes into this world. It comes into our hearts as we read it and it is as a light. It shines and it shows the true state and true condition of the world and true condition of our hearts. Light makes manifest. You've only got to think of the illustration here. If there was a room 
that was all in darkness. We wouldn't see anything that was in it. And if light then was put into that room, we would see exactly what is there. And so it is the word of God that shows the true state of this world. It shows the wickedness, the godlessness, the lies, the deceits. It shows the danger. It shows how far we are from God. How we are a, a people that is ripe for judgment. Just because God doesn't suddenly destroy a people doesn't mean to say that he approves of what is going on. For many hundreds of years he turned a blind eye to all that was going on in Canaan where Israel is today. And then at the appointed time he brought Israel out of Egypt to that land and he destroyed all of those nations utterly. And he said to Israel that the reason why he'd blessed them and delivered those nations into their hand was not because they were more righteous than them but because of the wickedness of those nations. And God will judge the wicked. And we read in the word, because sentence is not executed speedily against an evil work, then the heart of man is fully set in him to do evil. And even a child, if he gets away with something, then he'll do it again and do it again. A man is like that. But the word of God is a light that shows us what is right, what is wrong. Is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And so that is why we should pay heed to that. We should also pay heed to it because there is a promise here, a promise that through it, through the word of God, that the day star would arise in our hearts. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ would be blessed to us. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is through the word of God that men, women, children are blessed. As the word of God is preached, as it was on the way to Emmaus by our Lord, as it was by Philip to the eunuch, as it was by Peter to Cornelius and his household, as many of us have known that the blessing of the Lord has come to our souls as we've read the word of God, as we've heard it preached, the Lord Jesus Christ has been made precious to us we believed on him, we've seen him through the word, we've seen the plan of salvation, we rejoiced at that plan of salvation. The Lord has blessed us with eternal life and a good hope through his grace of being with him forever. He's brought us to repentance, he's brought us to hate our sin, to confess our sin, to turn from it and to turn unto him. And we need that word constantly. We need that word to 
be as what cleanses our lives from all that is wrong and all that is evil. There are many other reasons, many things that we could say that the reason why we should take heed. Our text says, ye do well that ye take heed. We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. And so on this first point, may we be refreshed again with this truth. Our readings in the morning and evening, privately, as a family, in the house of God, how much do we take heed to the word that we read? How much do we give careful attention to it? And when there's exhortations, pay attention to those exhortations. When there is warnings, take heed to those warnings. How much do we do so? Ye do well that ye take heed. Are we guilty of just going through the word of God and never taking heed? Never paying attention to it. Never comparing our lives with the word. Never thinking, is this word condemning us? Is this word pointing us to what we should be doing? Is this word reproving us of something that we are doing? How much heed do we pay to the word of God? Well, I want to look then secondly at other things that we are expressly warned to take heed to in the scriptures. I begin where our Lord warns in the Gospel according to Luke chapter 12 and verse 15 and he warns to take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth and the context was that someone had come to him and asked him to speak to his brother that he divide the inheritance with him. I don't suppose there's a greater occasion for there to be conflicts and for there to be covetousness than in the case of an inheritance. Man likes to get rich quick. Man likes riches that he hasn't had to work for. You've only got to look for that in our land with the lotteries and the many that will just give money in the vain hope that they'll suddenly get the jackpot and have so much money. And when it comes to an inheritance, how easy that is as well, to think if only I had that. If only I had that windfall. And yet what is an inheritance? Why is that money available? Because someone has died. Because they have left everything and they could not take anything with them. And yet those that are left, the temptation is to want that money, to want those goods. And yet never take heed and think, why have they left it? How was their soul state? What profit has these riches done to them? 
And it is in that context that our Lord really warns us and says, take heed in this. Take heed and beware of covetousness. And if we're honest, we'll know that that rises. You don't have to call it up. You don't have to consciously have it brought up. It comes, it comes. It was so with Gehazi when Naaman had been cured of his leprosy and offered to Elisha much riches and Elisha declined it. He didn't want them. But Gehazi coveted and it led to lies and deceit and going after Naaman for those riches. So this is one thing our Lord says we are to take heed and beware of covetousness. The next thing is in Luke 21, where in verse 34, our Lord warns and says, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness and cares of this life, feasting and drinking and the cares of this life. And he is speaking here, the context is at the end of the world and when the Lord shall come. And of course we think of Noah and his day. Men were buying and selling, marrying and giving in marriage until the flood came and took them all away. It was the same also with the day of Lot. Men were doing lawful things, right things, were well, in the days of Lot they were doing wickedness. But in the days of Noah it was wicked days as well. But what is highlighted that men were just going about their lives and it was the cares of this life that shut out the things of God. How close it comes when our Lord was in the house with Martha and with Mary and Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet and hearing his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving. The Lord was in the house but she couldn't hear his word. She was too worried about the food that was to go on the table and what was to be eaten and what was to be done. And we can be like that even in the house of God and amongst the people of God. We could have the church, the brethren, come back to our home, but instead of hearing the conversation and speaking one to another, we are so burdened with what we're going to give for refreshments and dealing with all the things that we've done. And we can be like that, so easy, not just unlawful cares but cares concerning the house of God many many things we can be burdened to with the ministry with the streaming here with the Bibles offered with the distribution of the word of God there's many many things to be attended to that can completely block out a real close walk with the Lord ourselves and all in ministry need this word to be warned 
to take heed to yourselves. Everyone that is in ministry first is a private Christian. We need a personal close walk with the Lord, not just an external ministry. Take heed to yourselves lest any time those cares of this life that they take over and you think with the pandemic with the virus that has come in one sense the Lord has been very kind in this and he has touched those things those cares he's touched men's health men's wealth he's touched their freedoms their liberties their pleasures and we are told men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God at the last. And God has touched these things. But the question we need to ask, has it made us then take heed to his word? Or has it brought even more cares and in a different way? The third thing I bring before you is the warning that we are to take care that we be not deceived. It's in this same chapter, Luke 21 and verse 8. And again, it is the Lord being asked of the sign of the times and the coming of Christ the second time. But he says in verse 8, Take heed that ye be not deceived. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near, Go ye not therefore after them. And we find it all the time. You can find those with billboards in city centres that the time is drawing nigh. We get emails in our email boxes from those that are professing to speak with authority from God himself. In fact, they're written in the very way as if God was speaking through their saying that it's but a few days and the Lord is coming again. In our day, there's, there's many that are saying these things. The Lord will come. The Lord will come. But we are to take heed that we are not deceived. If we know the word of God and keep close to the word of God, then we won't be deceived. But there are many, there are many cults, there are many different religions, there are many different so-called faiths, and all of them are deceiving men when they are turning away from the word of God and turning away from the teachings of the Lord. So very much to do with the very verse where our text is, that we are take heed, be very, very careful that we are not deceived, really, but are quite on a natural level if anything, we should be very familiar with this take heed because the amount of scams that there are, telephone scams, scams on emails, and today, if ever there is a need to take heed that we be not deceived, quite in a natural way, we are very mindful, and we mindful of the implications of being deceived financially and to touching our lives but this speaks even more this is speaking with our souls and whether we're saved or whether we're lost take heed that we be not deceived 
But then we have the Apostle Paul in his first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 3 and verse 10. He is testifying that he has laid a foundation, that is, as Christ is the foundation. He is the foundation stone. All true religion is based upon Christ. But the Apostle says, take heed, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. And again, you only need to look at the many religions that will say that the Lord Jesus or the cross is central, but they are all building in a different way. They are not building upon the true message of the gospel, upon Christ's sufficient sacrifice at Calvary to put away the sins of his people. And that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, that our foundation on Christ is not only what Christ has done at Calvary, but what he does in a sinner's life. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He is our advocate with the Father, it is Christ that works in his people, calls them. He is the great shepherd, the good shepherd that calls his people out of this world, calls them and draws them to himself. And then it is for the believer, Christ's righteousness that is our standing for heaven. It is his blood that puts away our sin. It is his righteousness that clothes us and it is vital that we understand rightly that Christ is truly God and truly man and that there is no other way of salvation and how we build on him. Some will say, well, we just live our lives to the full and we just cast in Christ's name into the scale and we are saved. But Christ said, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. I am not of the world, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And it's how we build on Christ. Some would build on him as if Christ came, so that instead of us being strangers and pilgrims and being prepared for a heavenly inheritance, the Lord confirms us in all wickedness and sin, and living only for this world. The Apostle says later in this epistle, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we have all men most miserable. So we do need to take heed how we are building on Christ. What is the message that we are receiving? How our hope is placed on him? Is it only partial or is it fully? Is it a biblical building upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Then we have, when Paul writes to the uh, Colossians, and he is principally in this case writing uh, to a minister and warning him to take heed to fulfil that ministry, 
he says in verse 17 of chapter 4, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfil it. In the first place, it, it is a warning to a minister. The Lord has given him a ministry, a pastorate, a calling that he should take heed to fulfil that ministry. And yet it is also a warning to the hearers because if the minister's taking heed to the ministry, how much more so also for the hearers to take heed to the ministry. In the letters to the Revelation, the churches in the second and third chapter in the book of Revelation, after each of those seven letters, we have the words, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so we are to pay heed to what actually is said in the ministry. Then we have in, uh, again, Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians and chapter 10. And he is speaking of the children of Israel going through the wilderness. He rehearses in the beginning part of that chapter how that although they were blessed together and being brought through the Red Sea and they all drank of that same spiritual meat, uh, had the same spiritual meat and drank of the same spiritual drink and yet many were overthrown and he says that those were our examples that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And those things that happened to them were warnings to us. And so he uh, says this, that we also should take heed uh, that lest we also fall. In verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth Take heed lest he fall. And we have a picture here of one just going through this life saying, I think that I stand. I think I'm a Christian. I'm all right for heaven. Uh, I'm going on all right. But the apostle says, no, you take heed lest you fall. There were those that have gone before you that thought the same and they've so easily fallen and so we're not to be careless in this life. We are to be those that really take heed. Then we have in uh, Paul's epistle to the Galatians, and I felt looking at this word, how needful is it for us today. Galatians 5 and verse 15. He says, if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. I thought with the pandemic, the strains that have been in many places of worship and the conflict has been between brethren over what should be done, what should not have been done. And not only that, but in many other aspects as well. And we have a picture of the church liable to pull itself apart from within, not without, a civil war as it were. And so he says here, take heed 
that ye be not consumed one of another. And you just to stand back and think, what is going on? What, what is the conflict and the danger here? Not a standing, as it were, for essential things, but those things that are being contended over is just pulling, pulling the people of God apart, the churches of God, contentions. And then there's one last I bring before you in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I think this is something that runs right through the word, and especially with the children of Israel, how they easily departed to idolatry, how even the Lord warned them that there would be those that gave signs and wonders and they came to pass. But the Lord said, he sent these things among them to prove them whether they would keep to the word of God or not. Those things might be many signs and wonders, but if they turn us away from the true and living God, if they bring us to disbelieve the word of God, then we are not to take heed to them and we are to take heed that there is that spirit of unbelief that rises up and the end result is departing from the living God. May we really be warned and be a people that really do take heed of those things that we read, of how we walk, the way that we are going, the true state of our soul, we do not just brush off the word, the ministry, the warning this morning, that we take heed to this word. Ye do well that ye take heed. The word of our text, ye do well that ye take heed. Well, may the Lord bless the word to us. Amen.